Welcome to Transform and Thrive. Your host, Helen Lee, examines the opportunities and practical solutions for individuals and organizations to transform and thrive in these times. She shares her wisdom and that of other changemakers impacting our world. Tune in for innovative and holistic tools and empowering strategies to reinvent yourself and or your organization and flourish in a world facing different crises. Hi, this is Helen Lee. Welcome to Transform and Thrive. I have here with me Mia Kirikos, who is a well-respected global leader in the wellness industry. She sits on the advisory boards of Cornell University and the Global Wellness Institute. She's also a celebrated speaker and has had her work and expertise featured in the New York Times, LA Times, Travel Weekly, and more, and is the president and chief love officer of Kirikos and Associates. Big welcome to you, Mia, and thank you for being here with me. Thank you, Helen. I'm very happy to be here. Um, I think one of the things you I heard you say about yourself is that you're an evangelist of making love as a business strategy. And I just love the the sound of that, uh, which is why I'm excited about you being here with me this uh, today. And also, um, I'm grateful to Neil Jacobs for talking about you. It just so happens because I was uh, asking him about uh, something it was something he says so I was asking him about is that possible to to uh, make that part of business right make love part of business and he said yes and then he mentioned you right oh. so yeah and and he sends his love by the way yeah oh I Neil Jacobs is one of my favorite people on planet earth and he's pure love so um thank you that's quite the compliment <laughs> yeah so um, tell us more about being an evangelist of making love as a business strategy. Sure. Um, well, one of the, as you know, you mentioned er- uh, earlier that I'm also focused on the business of wellness. And so I really look at love as the how. Mm-hmm. And um, when the pandemic first hit and we were all quarantining, mm-hmm. um, I had to exercise one of my wellness practices, which is to learn something new, something that could give me hope. Um, And I always had a list of things that I wanted to try to study. And so I dusted off that list because I had been working quite hard at the time. um, And I thought, I always had this theory that if you institutionalized love as a business practice, which really is the greatest form of positivity that there is, could it actually impact the bottom line? Could it change how companies perform? And the reason why I was on my list, Helen, and actually I don't know that I've told anyone this before, but I've had many leadership profiles and assessments done. You know, we've all taken them from leadership circle to Myers-Briggs to VIA character strengths. There's several um, that you can actually see at the university of Pennsylvania. They list many. And, um, love would regularly come up as one of my leadership strengths, but it's not something I could regularly talk about as something I'm good at, like being good at communications or otherwise. And so um, I've studied it for quite some time and studied the business impact of it, which I can tell you more about. 
Um, and I, it really, I was able to prove to myself first that love does pay. And now um, I can't think of a better time in history, really, when the world has really been shaken to its core in many ways, um, to make love a business practice and take it from the bedroom into the boardroom, which is what I like to say, because um, we have to get uncomfortable to get comfortable with love as something that we bring into the workplace. Yeah. I think the whole business of getting comfortable with it in some ways is quite bizarre. Bizarre in the sense that, um, I don't know, people are so awkward about it, right? Yeah. Yes, I think you're but, very awkward. You know, like, like I, I also um, am not supposed to talk about spiritual stuff, right? right. And yet right. we are spiritual beings. Right, we have we 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 are not only have a soul, we are soul, right? And the essence of soul is love, right? right? So we're not even tapping into you know a fraction of who we are, and I think it's such a waste, right? You're a hundred percent right, and I think a lot of times people don't realize it doesn't just feel good, and it's not just about who we are, which you just said it perfectly but that it actually does impact how we perform in the workplace in in such significant ways that we're only beginning to understand. You know, uh, leaders and many of them today still, uh, typically for large publicly traded companies, for example, they lead from a place of fear and that's where ego lives. You know, that's where, that's ultimately where ego lives and love is where acceptance lives. And this sounds, again, um, touchy-feely, but I love it when people get awkward when I start talking about this, because I can speak to how it enables business performance and actually point to studies of it, which I'm, I try to secure every day. But then also that, as you just rightly said, it's, it's part of how we were conceived. You know, hu- humanity is all about love of mankind, living in service of others is about love for mankind. And I feel like we're only now being a little bit more willing to talk about it than we have been before, because so much fell apart in the last few years for many people, personally and professionally. Yeah. And it's sort of light that gets you out. And, and Mia, it's going to get worse, okay, before it gets better, right? So yeah. I am concerned for humanity. I'm concerned for the planet and it's a legitimate concern. And that's why I, I want, I'm excited to have you here with me talking about this because you have the guts basically to go out there, you know, and call yourself a chief love officer, right? Yes. And, and I understand from that post of yours that um, not everybody thought it was a great idea. And that's maybe putting it mildly. I don't know. What was your experience? You're absolutely right. Um, at the best side of the spectrum, people were, were positive and curious. What does that mean? And I had the great opportunity to say, well, it means I'm a CEO. I'm the kind of CEO I want to be, which is a chief love officer. And I'm going to celebrate that. All the way to... Mia, you changed your title to chief love officer. That's bizarre. Aren't you uncomfortable? 
putting that on LinkedIn. I mean, the fact that you just went out there and, and changed your title and put it on your business cards, um, isn't that going to negatively impact your business? Yeah. I mean, you work for Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 companies. And how is it? Aren't you afraid that you're going to negatively impact uh, your business? And to me, I was sort of surprised. And some those were some people that I really trusted that actually came out with that. And I started realizing, wow, this is not a reflection of me. That's a reflection of the person that finds it very curious, if not negative, that I'm doing that. And it just made me want to shout from the rooftops even more. I mean, it's almost like someone put a hurdle on the track field and I needed to jump it, but I needed to test myself that I could speak to the business reason, not just the humane reason to lead with love. And it's, it's a quest I'm still on every day. And I, I call myself the world's first, but I certainly hope I'm not the last. I hope there's many more. And I've started to see people willing to make the same leap and change their title. Very good. Um, first, the world's first chief love officer. You know, yes. I salute you. Thank you. <laughs> it really, because it takes guts. I mean, I, I stood in front of a HR group here in Singapore some years ago, I forget the, the, the year, but it was maybe 10 years or more, right? And, um, and I talked about how uh, we need a new model of human intelligence. And it just went right over everybody's head, right? And yes. I had a friend there who is an organizational behavior strategist or whatever she's called. And she said, you need to dilute it. I said, I'm not going to dilute it, right? I said, I'll just find a different audience at the right time. Even if I have to shelve it for a while, I'm not diluting it. Maybe I'm just being stupid and stubborn about it, Mia, but I think it's just a waste of time and energy if I did that. To me, maybe I'm wrong. Okay. No, not at all. I think it's, listen, principles only matter when we stand by them when life gets hard, not when it's easy, right? And you know, this is why I really applaud you for, for taking that risk, because that can sometimes come with financial hardships or um, a negative impact to your own business when you're trying to do the right thing by helping a company achieve its business objectives. This is very much, um, a, I think what makes love as a business strategy so strong is that it's the intersection of your personal life and your pre professional life. The fact that you can leverage it as a strategy in both areas of your life is amazing because it becomes more natural and more innate to who you are. You start seeing things and business problems differently. You see solutions differently. You see opportunity differently. You see challenge differently yeah. um, because starts becoming part of your human nature yeah. um, and your leadership qualities. It's, it's, it's really an amazing journey. Yeah. And, and I think we need different um, leaders. I actually think we need leaders who are empaths and highly, <laughs> who are highly sensitive, right? Yes. Um, because they understand uh, the subtle energies, right? And work with them. I think we can really co-create a totally different world. I also loved 
you know, when I listened to that masterclass of yours uh, in, two, two, it was two years ago, right? 2020. Yes. It was the exactly. Wellness Summit, right? And yes. what was it called? I've written here somewhere. Uh, love as a strategy, right? Yes. Um, what I love about that, well, I love many things about that, but uh, one, one thing in particular was um, that you cited examples of companies that did well, right? I mean, like really well, you know? Uh, yes. The first one was that Japanese car company. Um, Subaru. Correct. And then you mentioned, uh, South. was it Southwest Airlines? Yeah, Southwest Airlines, which is really a budget airlines here in the United States. Um, but when I... I started looking at their background. It's been 50 years of uh, a legacy of love that they've operationalized. And, you know, it's easy for companies today. Coca-Cola is one of them and some others that actually make love part of their marketing strategy. But making it part of your business strategy is really making it part of its DNA. And Southwest Airlines, um, since its flight back in the first one since 1971, from they've called the Dallas Love Field. They had um, a number of, of ways in which they wove love um, into their business model from love bites, where it's the snack that they would give you when you were on the plane. Um, they even wore love-themed uniforms. Everyone's aware of their heart as their logo. Again, this sounds like marketing, but when you started to look at their value proposition, the way they train their employees, the way that in the early years, um, you know, you could not speak. If you had a relationship in a company uh, with a colleague, you typically had to inform HR and they had to decide whether or not there was a conflict of interest. Southwest Airlines actually embraced the fact that they had colleagues working together that fell in love because they felt that that was just better for their business. They even marketed how many couples were there. But when you looked at the business metrics, overall customer satisfaction, um, net promoter score, um, margins, so many things that are actually business metrics. They're best in class in their category. Yeah. So um, you can't help but to wonder as you look through this, when you compare them to their competitors, love is their differentiating factor, again, as that they've institutionalized it. Um, and, you know, I, I cite some of them on that masterclass that's on that's on YouTube. Um, but I was really surprised when I went through there and I started learning this isn't just marketing. This is part of their DNA. It's how they lead. It's what they believe. And uh, their business metrics are better than anyone else in their class. It was really surprising yeah. and encouraging. Very. And, and I mean, you cited figures as well, I think, right? I don't remember them, but uh, I was really impressed um, because it works, right? I mean, um, Neil has talked about it for his company's uh, Six Senses, right? I, I wanted to say Six Seasons because he was with Four Seasons and then Six Senses. Um, and, and it works. It pays, right? Um, it does. It, it, it's just... To me, it's just a common sense thing, right? Yes. You know, well, and I think it's about positivity management. So 
Um, there's a great woman. She wrote this book. You might've heard me mention it. Um, yes, the yes. book Positivity by Dr. Barbara Fredrickson. Yes. And she wrote about the 10 different forms of positivity, things like hope and awe and gratitude. Yeah. And she talked about how love is its greatest form. Well, if you started digging into some of the, the research that I did uh, with her book and the companies that she cited, um, she started talking about companies is that instead of managing from a deficit or a challenge would manage from success or opportunity. Um, it's simple things like if you are trying to compensate for colleague weaknesses and skills, switching the, the comparative model to actually managing to their strengths and just accepting weaknesses are always going to be the weaknesses. And that's when you should complement them with other members of the team. Um, you start realizing it's just, it's another path forward to actually yielding the same business results that you're looking for. Um, and I think what I really liked about um, positivity management is that there are companies and, and you mentioned, I mentioned other ones in, in the podcast that have actually institutionalized positivity management as their primary business practice and have mapped back how that's changed performance versus their old way of thinking, which was much more about challenge and fear and negative, starting from a negative uh, point of view. And um, I mean, this is in the millions. The difference is, has been in the millions of, of, of impact when it comes to um, impacting the bottom line. So, you know, I really do think that that's where if you start looking and, and really starting connections, it's amazing how you can uh, draw parallels from how we act personally to how we act professionally. And in a perfect world, it should be one way. And I feel like that's why I, part of my reason for having chief love officer is because it's a reminder every day when stress starts to rise, when I'm having a bad day, cause I'm human, when I'm feeling negative about something, I have to, I stop myself and I ask what would love do? Like in a moment where I'm really stressful and I'm, I'm really having a hard moment. That is a different answer than what would fear do. Yeah. And that's, that's the number one tip when I, when I've dealt with the skeptics, Helen, when I've dealt with the people that feel like, okay, I hear this in theory. Yes. You've studied companies. Yes. You can point to data. Yes. You can point to case studies, but I still don't know as a leader, how to feel comfortable with love in a meeting room. And that's when I say, okay, use it as a tool for when you're stressed or something's going wrong, or you have a challenge you have to address with the team members or a company. And you're feeling that anxiety coming through every pore of your body. You're, you're really stressed, you're short tempered and so forth. If you can just stop for a moment and ask yourself, what will love do? It will incorporate different parts of your brain and you will take a different action had you not taken a moment to, as I like to say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. I think maybe they are more comfortable with words like caring, right? Yes. Um, you know, considering somebody else, you know, empathizing just love freaks people out, you know. It absolutely freaks them out. You're at, and Helen, I think the problem with the, 
I think a lot of times, if you think about it, we set company goals that are unrealistic with the understanding that, okay, we're probably not going to hit that goal, but we'll get close to it. That's how I look at the difference between love and care and empathy. Love is the like, it's the hardest goal to go achieve for many people. So why don't you set the bar high? And if you get to care or empathy or compassion or gratitude, you're pretty close. You know, at least you're closer than you would have been. How about you, like in your company? I mean, since you've positioned yourself and your company as offering this, right? How... How have you performed? How, how has your company performed since? Has it been good? Has it been tough? Has it been? Yes, I'm happy to share that. Um, I, as I was institutionalizing sort of love in my company and getting comfortable speaking about it and writing about it, um, I started, it changed some of the decisions I made with my company in, in the form of investment. For example, I was trying to decide if I should trademark some of our unique intellectual property and some other things. And it led me down a path to, to do things for my business and invest in ways that I might not have done. And I'm happy to say two years later that I'm having uh, the best year of my company's existence. Um, I mean, it's, it's really been paying me back. Um, probably one of the best, um, opportunities I had actually came at the start of the year where I was asked to keynote an internal business meeting, um, that I spoke about the business of wellness, but I ended on the how, and I talked about love at the end, um, with a very traditionally minded, largely male leadership group. And it led to a conversation, which led to a dinner, which led to uh, sharing of business problems that they might not have shared uh, so freely before, to us talking about a solution to them signing the largest retainer for my, for my consulting services that I've ever signed before. You know, I have seen it pay off firsthand, and it's been so rewarding, almost like makes, brings a tear to my eye, because I let myself sort of unleash. And what's happening is it's coming back to me now and in very material ways. So it's, it's so wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, not only for you, because you deserve to be totally deserve to be rewarded for being, you know, bold and brave enough to do this, but also it because it indicates that people are ready Yes. I think, Helen, that you just hit the nail on the head. That is so astute of you. Well, I've People, been waiting for this, you see. But it's about timing. It's all about timing. Yeah. And, you know, we had to strike when the iron was hot, when people are feeling so depleted and so frustrated. Yes. Hurt and professionally, and so disturbed with the things that are happening in the world. Yes. It's like the only way we can actually combat it is to fight back with something even greater yes. than the negative side of the equation. And literally after 45 minutes of this, of this uh, session that I did um, at this prospect at the time, who's now a key client, love was the question they had at the end not the business metrics, not the things that I spoke to about industry growth and other things in the business of wellness. They were very curious about the how. And you could tell it was almost like I threw a life raft 
because they were trying to find something, anything. They've tried traditional business levers to pull. And that's what led to a conversation. And again, Helen, it's because people are now willing to open their eyes and ears to almost anything that can help change the unhappy and negative tides in the world from how we're caring for our planet, for people to the division that's happening to to old issues that I thought were dead from race and segregation and, and um, how we treat each other and uh, based on your preferences, sexual or otherwise. I mean, we can all point to all the social issues that are going on, the political issues, um, the uh, separatist mentality that's happening out there. Um, and I see it. And the only way I can combat it is to come back with a list twice as long about all the good. And it's amazing how it changes things. Yeah. I think also kudos definitely goes to you because of how you're presenting it. You're doing it in a, well, what, what I would call a grounded way, right? It's, it's grounded, it's down to earth, you know, you're coming with facts and figures. It's not about a mushy sentimental love at all. It cannot be, it's stupid if it, if it were, right? Um, mm-hmm. Love is a hell of a lot stronger than that. And it's a hell of a lot more practical than that. You know, and this is the common sense of it that I was referring to, you know. So really, you get another one of these. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, I, you know, um, as you mentioned at the start of this, my reputation in the business of wellness, you know, I really... It, it was born out of trying to do things differently starting 20 years ago. But at that time, and it's very reminiscent of where we are today, people did not believe in legitimizing the business of wellness and using uh, the science or evidence and proving that it actually works, particularly the medical community was so against it. And, and so we've, we've come so far and that's the recipe I was able to point to was that The only way when I first got my start in hotels and otherwise for me to make a business case around wellness was actually to to compare it to hotel metrics and meet people where they were at. The same is true for love 20 years later, which is if I could actually legitimize it by pointing to case studies and facts and figures, um, they have no choice but to listen, right? And that's really what it comes down to. It's it's meeting business leaders where they're at, putting love, no matter what the industry is, into terms that they will understand, into metrics that they can point to, churn rates, higher margins, whatever it is. Um, then they start to listen, and that's been the greatest lesson that I've learned from the, the from the world of wellness and the wellness economy. And I had to bring that to love because one's the what and one's the how. It's really that simple. Yeah. And, and you've, you know, like just only checking a couple of your recent posts, you, 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 you know, uh, fine gems really, you know, that, uh, who, who was she? Um, the president of the European central bank. Yes. Christine Lagarde. Yes. She posted recently, um, it was it it really filled my cup it was a couple of weeks ago where she talked about uh the fact that she's often asked by women that are trying to you know mirror the path that she's had you know she's really 
climb the highest ranks of the fi- of financial institutions, when they asked her what she felt her greatest um, factor of success was, she distilled it down to love. Mm-hmm. That she felt having love, giving love, treating people with love mm-hmm. is actually got her to where she was. And I found that to be very vindicating. And of course I shared that because we need more people, certainly from, I would say, typically stereotypically hard-nosed industry like finance, right? To speak to the softer side of business, which love is the star of the show. Um, And so I love that she actually spoke to that um, and she shared it on LinkedIn and I had to share it far and wide. It, it brought such a smile to my face because I started feeling like we're starting to arrive here. We're starting to make this uh, something to celebrate and to share as part of business success and career success. I think the evidence is there. I think just that people are fearful. They're coming from mind rather than heart. And if you come from mind, it is inevitably um, fear-based, ego-based, right? And we have choices. We have a choice to continue to primarily come from that or to come from heart. And, and you know, the Heart Math Institute, right? Yes. I also, I think he was my first podcast guest, um, Bruce Cryer, who, used, who was part of the founding uh, team for Heart Math Institute, he was a CEO as well. And um, they, they did the research and found that the heart has a much greater and more powerful electromagnetic field, you know, than, than what the, the head or the, yeah, uh, emanates, right? So uh, like something like 5,000 times, right? And, and we're just not listening to that. We're not paying attention to that, right? Well, I like to say, Helen, that the heart is more centrally located. If you think about it, yeah. they have the brain is yeah. and correct. It's far away from your toes yeah. where, where grounding happens, right? I'd say the heart is centrally located. If you lead from the heart, it's easier to imagine an organizational system, an ecosystem of well-being, which is what I talk about a lot, is that you feel you can phys- visibly see the heart and, and metaphorically imagine that being the heart of a business, the heart of a body, the heart of a business. When you come up to the head, I think that's where it gets in the way. It's sort of an outlier. It's a distance location versus the heart. When you start thinking about that metaphorically, it actually rings true. People can start to see, yeah, I have to be at the center of things, not at the top of them. It's a very different approach um, when you're thinking about how you lead and how to um, bring love, you know, through its circuits. For us, it's our our vessels and everything, but through sort of the overall ecosystem of a company or leadership, it really does have to be centrally located. Yeah, no, that's a very, very good way of, you know, putting it. And, um, and especially when you're presenting to, to potential clients, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They say you've done, you know, really well um, in, in terms of how you're presenting it. And, and also, 
I'm not just listening to the facts you're presenting. I'm listening to the voice. I'm listening to the energy with which you're presenting it. Right? It's very clear. It's very sure. It's very, it's very grounded. You know. So I just yes. wanted to share that with you because. Thank you, Helen. Yeah, and and it's necessary. It because I'm not just complimenting you. I I think you. you it's almost like you're given that so that you have this role so that you can make the changes. I always see it as a you know, bigger picture thing. I see it as how we are various people meant to play various roles to make the changes that the world needs. Right, right. Well, you know, Helen, it comes you know, from a place of, and you might've heard me speak about this before, trust. So if there's not, if you don't trust yourself, you can't love yourself or accept yourself, right? So I did not trust myself when I started researching this. That's why I had to go research it in the first place. I felt it. I didn't trust it. The same is true in an organization. If you do not, if trust is not present in an organization, if people do not trust their their bosses or their colleagues, if people do not trust that the company really does care for their best interest, love cannot grow. It's impossible. It, it literally needs to be built on a foundation of trust. So a lot of times when I start hearing people that really can't see the light or they feel like it's not for them or they are uncomfortable talking about love, I start finding my way to the topic of trust. Is it that you don't trust yourself? Is it that you don't trust your organization or the organization that you're in? You know, where is trust in the organization? And fortunately, that's something we know how to measure in organizations. There's lots of ways to trust, you know, in, in voice of customer surveys or voice of colleague surveys, you can measure trust. And I find that those companies or individuals that actually uh, rate a poor level of trust with themselves, with the companies, their organizations, they're the ones are, that are struggling the most to understand love as a business strategy. So it's that's where we all have to hold up a mirror to understand what role trust is playing in our lives or in our companies, because that's the foundation. And if that's cracked, you don't have a chance at love. You really have to focus on the trust piece first and fostering that trust, again, with yourself, your families, your loved ones, your communities, your companies, whatever it is that you're trying to institutionalize and bring love to the table. Love is, if you try to build love, it's like a house without a foundation. You, you need the foundation of trust first. That was the lovely Mia Kirikos, President and Chief Love Officer of Kirikos and Associates on a mission to make love a business strategy. The first two years of COVID have brought people all over the world closer to each other and caring for each other. We need to keep being there for each other and learn to love and honor ourselves and each other more and more. I've already devoted several episodes on this subject but we need people to know that it is the most sensible and practical thing to inculcate in all areas of our lives, including our business and corporate world, and that it actually pays us 
rewards us monetarily and in so many intangible and very, very crucial ways as well. In the next episode, Mia and I talk about a variety of things, including teaching people how to love and honor themselves and five lessons of love in business. Not everyone is going to be open to this, and yet this is a primary key to our going beyond our current habits and behavior, beyond scarcity consciousness and merely surviving, and move on to flourishing greatly. As I also mentioned to Mia in part two of our interview or conversation, I will be inviting some of my guests to conduct master classes for our members and perhaps follow-on courses thereafter. I will myself conduct some of them as well. With regard to coaching people on loving and honoring themselves, I must say that I've been doing so for many years already through my in-depth social media posts, Facebook Lives, my various programs, one-on-one and group sessions for both individuals and organizations, and also special Zoom events. In February this year, I launched my new membership club a month after launching this podcast. It has the same name as this podcast to further support both individuals and organizations to transform and thrive greatly in these fast-changing and challenging times. You will be able to find various examples of my approach to coaching people on loving and honoring themselves greatly by checking out transformandthrive.club. And if you like what I share there, you can sign up right away and join our powerful monthly live Zoom sessions where I personally coach you and facilitate shifts for you on this subject and any that you are focusing on and need help with right now in order to transform and thrive. These monthly sessions are conducted live on Zoom video in intimate groups where I will give you individual attention as well as an awesome key to mastery you can use for life to continue this amazing work. I'll show you how you can do for yourself. My innovative and highly effective methodology has been perfected over more than two decades with thousands of people all over the world and multinational companies and will bring you great results if you use this key to mastery as prescribed. You will be able to move towards being your greatest self, your most powerfully loving and wisest self, who is able to create a wonderful life of abundance and purpose for yourself. You will love these sessions and contribute towards co-creating a world that loves and honors each other 
and ourselves in all areas of our lives. A totally different world of joy and freedom, peace and prosperity for all human beings and everything that lives and breathes. Great love will permeate our planet. There will be no lack and limitation, no hunger and poverty. Let's consciously create and move towards the new era together, beginning with creating what your heart and soul desire for yourself right now, right here. This is Helen Lee on the Transform and Thrive show. Much love to you. Wishing you endless possibilities of great joy and freedom, peace and abundance at all levels, even now. Happy transforming and thriving. You have the power to do so masterfully and joyously. Thank you for joining me. Your presence is vital and very, very much appreciated. As always, bye for now.